everyone and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is Book Club. Please remember, we do discuss the whole book, which may involve spoilers. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. One more thing. I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm, lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code L-L-T-B podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. And let's get straight to Book Club. Welcome to Book Club. Today we are doing How Beautiful We Were by Imbolo Mbui. And I guess it's just me and Erin today. So, Erin, first thoughts. Okay, so um, it's been a minute since I read this, but I enjoyed it. It was different, I felt like, than other books that we had done. I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think I gave it a four or five from my first, like, just instincts. I know I shouldn't say that, but yeah, I I didn't have any complaints. Well, my first thoughts, well, it's been more than a minute since I read it, because this is one of my Libra FM influencer books, right? And I know nothing about this author. I know nothing about this book. And I'm reading it. And like you said, it's very different from what we normally read. I mean, we read, you know, women's struggles and immigration stories and, you know, things like that. Or we read about, I guess, racial injustice or, you know, like caste, just those things. But this one was just completely like, well, there are women's struggles and all that, but there's so much like, oh my gosh, this is so different from what we normally do, from what I normally read. And I just thought it was just so relevant to our world, to our environment, to what's going on. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I was kind of stunned into silence really after I read this book and I was like, oh gosh, we should do this for book club. I'm going to convince them at some point to do this for book club. And, you know, I really liked it. And I think I posted it on Bookstagram when I did read it. I really enjoyed this book. And someone else made a comment that, oh yeah, I really love this author and I really want to read this book also. So those are my first 
thoughts about this book. So what do you think? You think this is like happening all the time, everywhere. It's basically environmental bullying, isn't it? For money? I mean, that's definitely one of the themes. Yeah. I mean, it's like you you take an area that has little income opportunity and you basically mine the resources off of it. And, you know, in the process, you're polluting the environment and the people who are living in it are reaping the consequences while you reap the profits of it. And that's, you know, while this took place in Africa, this happens everywhere. Like you said, it happens everywhere. And, and it's been happening for, yeah, look at, yeah. Alaska. Hundreds of years. Yes. And we will just go mine. And, And when we talk about mining, it's specifically oil, petroleum products. And we will go mine it. And our world is so money driven, big corporations, money, and it doesn't matter what happens to human beings, to the environment, to the earth. It doesn't matter as long as big corporations can make their money and they can live their life in this world in comfort. It doesn't matter how many people have to die, how many people, animals, birds, whatever, have to die. I That was my biggest theme in this. And then there was the theme of the protagonist, right, who went from her village to another village to fight this. And then there were people from America who came in and who were like, yeah, no, this is wrong. And she tried to you know, join with them. And she thought they were going to help her. But even the people who are rebelling against this don't have much of a voice. Yeah, she so I mean, I think her story is that she even tried to fight within like the limitations and the uh, acceptability, what was deemed acceptable um, from society. You know, she she tried to fight within that she went and learn what she became an attorney well she was trying to become an attorney and then she was yeah and then she did become an attorney right and then she was trying to fight within these legal means she hired a big corporation law corporation that should have been able to you know go through the american courts to make this settled and then that didn't work so then she even tried again within her own country right and like it didn't matter how much she tried to fight within the rules that had been laid out, she couldn't get justice within the confines of those rules, which then, you know, I think that she was an unknowing participant for a bit of time. Uh, She was giving money. And I think she knew that the money was going towards not towards means that we're trying to get back at the corporation, you know, outside of the rules. But I don't think that she realized the extent to which that that her support was going towards violence, and of course it was, and of course she paid the ultimate she paid price. The price, even though she didn't really know that that's what it's, for a long time. I mean, she obviously did eventually know. We believe, you know, we have reason to believe she eventually knew that it was going towards violence. But at the same time, like, can we really blame them? 
you know, here we are, we're like, oh, it was violence and they killed, you know, they were going to kill these people or they killed this man. Right. They were fighting. I mean, here's the thing. Okay. We talk about like in America, we're like, oh, we want peaceful protests. Would peaceful protests have worked there in Africa? I think they tried. They kept trying and asking. And it's kind of like this, that you guys have come in and killed so many people, okay? I am so angry. I am just going to kill you. I am just going to kill you. I'm going to, you know, basically, what what, is she, what did they do? They um, kidnapped the head. They kidnapped him and... They didn't kill him. They they kidnapped him and let him go, which is they should have just killed him. But that's a different story. Uh, you know, I think they were very um, they were clueless about what they thought they could do. You know, I think in terms of like, you know, in Black Buck going way back. Remember, they she the, the woman Rose or whatever, she was orchestrating this movement to kidnap the other guy and something like they kidnap him and then they let him go, but then they pay the price for it. It's like this. If you're going to fight somebody, do it right. You know, it's kind of like this. They say, if someone's coming to rape you, don't half-ass it. If you're going to gouge their eyes out, gouge their eyes out. If you're going to really kick them in the balls, Kick them in the balls. If you can cut it off, cut it off. You know, that kind of thing. Don't half-ass and go threaten them, blah, 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 because guess what happens? Ultimately, even that little bit of, you know, you spark it, and then they're going to come back at you. And if you half-ass it, this is what happens. Same thing with Black Buck, same thing with here. They kidnapped him, and they didn't know what that to do. Half-assed it, and that's what happens. But here's the thing. Even if they would have killed him, it wouldn't have mattered, really. It would not have mattered because they would have come back. They'd have been like, what happened? Where's this body? What's going on? And they'd still have to pay the ultimate price. There is nothing they could have done. That's my question. Is there anything the small country could have done against us? I personally think not. I mean, we're talking about a country where the government knew what was happening and in fact, was was probably receiving themselves some monetary compensation or whatever for what was happening, right? Like, even though the company that was siphoning out these resources, for lack of a better word, was not a company totally based within, this is Ghana, I think, right? If I remember correctly, is that it right? It was, uh... All I got is... I could be wrong. I thought it was Ghana for some reason. African village in fictional African village of Kosawa. I don't know where in Kosawa. So. Okay. Well, at, at any rate, anyway. whatever at a, whatever country that it was in there, like the, it was, you know, that it was insinuated that this company was an American company that was coming in to that area and siphoning out those resources. And so there was there was a monetary exchange with the government of that country and who really paid the price were the people of that that village. You you look at things that have actually happened like here in the United States for example, do you remember in 2016 
when they had um, the pipeline that was being laid underneath the Missouri River in, so like Montana or like North or South Dakota or, do you remember this? And they wanted to lay the pipeline across native tribal lands that were a burial ground for a Native American tribe. Okay. Well, I can't remember what they called this conflict, right? But the movement from the Native American tribe was actually, like, while they were using the argument about this was our sacred, like, burial grounds, and so they should not be able to, based on treaties, which we know the government, the United States government has treaties? never upheld. Like, is there really? a single treaty that the United States government has upheld with a Native American tribe? Wow. We, I mean, we, show me. Wow. <laughs> I know. Like, really? We we uphold, we uphold right. treaties with anybody? I mean, especially Native Americans. I mean, gosh. No, yeah. Exactly. Oh. And this company had um, basically paid off the governor of the state and I'm sure numerous other public officials so that they could lay their lines across this land. And the, the Native Americans were using the argument of this is our sacred land, our burial land. But really, they didn't want what they were trying to stop is they were trying to stop the pipeline from being laid underneath the river. Right. Because this is a major tributary to drinking water across the Midwest. They were not like people can look at that and they can they can construe it whatever way that they want. But the real true meaning of what was going on there is that it was about the environment. It was about protecting the earth. It was about protecting water supply, not just for them, like even though they were the ones fighting the fight, right? And it was their land that was being taken away and misused and their ancestors that were being disrespected. It it really was a fight that they were fighting for all of us that live in the Midwest, right? whether we realize it or not. And what happened, those were, it was peaceful. It was a movement led by elder, primarily elderly women or women above the, you know, but above a certain age, but above my age. Um, I shouldn't say completely elderly, but they were elders of the tribe. And, and this was a very peaceful uprising, so to speak. Like they were just there in their presence, right? They were just on the land. They were existing on the land and preventing, but, but with their presence, preventing them from digging further. And yet what happened is in the middle of the night, they have the water hoses turned on them in like, you know, below freezing conditions. And then these peaceful protesters now are fighting for their lives, hypothermia that, you know, they've also had, they were having tear gas sprayed at them. Right. I mean, it was devastating. And there were charges brought about trespassing. Okay, and so many of these people like and and not just trespassing, but other things, assembling not you know, not dispersing, et cetera. And many of those people served time and they have a criminal record now because they were peacefully protesting the simple at the simple act of having fresh water, of having clean water for us to drink. And and nothing was done about it. Right. Like to this day. Any um, effort that was uh, that they tr- that has been made to try to take down that line to you know to even have stopped it before it was laid, everything was stopped in the legal system, and it was very clear what the ramifications were. And in fact, there have been leaks from that line, right? And it did cause pollution to the water. Um, luckily, none of them have been so big to affect a large area. But it's I mean we're talking a matter of a few years, right? So like. What do what do we think is going to happen five years from now, ten years from now, a generation from now? You know, here's the thing. 
So let's say I am whatever. I'm some big shot in Missouri right now. I'm the governor of Missouri. I'm like the top Missouri person. I could live in this giant, huge mansion, okay? But ultimately, when I open the tap water, unless I am able to find a water line, I know I I have all this money, but still, ultimately, the water line that, you know, we all in America have a certain water line. Even the White House, I don't know if the White House has a separate water line. Does it? I mean, I'm just saying, does the White House have a separate water line? You know, does Mar-a-Lago have a separate water line or whatever? You know, these are things that people have to think about. You know, if you think in terms of like, say, the pandemic, the virus, I don't care how wealthy you were. I don't care how big your house was or whatever. There were people who died from this virus, right? This was something that money couldn't pay off. And at some point when people mess up our environment, it's going to be something that money cannot pay off. And these big money folks are going to be like, I can't breathe. I can't take a breath. We have corrupted this environment. And it's kind of basically, they're all drilling holes in our ship, thinking that, okay, the ship is going to survive for how long? As long as it survives for our lifetime, it's okay. But is it going to survive for their children's lifetime and their children's children's lifetime? And it's, I just, I don't even have an answer for, you know, it. it's just beyond me, the recklessness of this. I mean, there's just, how do you, how does someone not see that we all have to breathe the same air and drink the same water? Well, I think that, I'm, I won't say that every single one of these business people that are involved have no idea about stewardship, environmental stewardship. But I would say that most of them were likely raised. And I mean, we're going to talk about Mar-a-Lago, one person in general, or one person specifically, (laughs) um, who removed a lot of environmental regulations within this country and allowed a lot of setbacks on the environmental front, is a person who was raised completely outside of what it means to be in harmony with our earth because it was never part of his life. He was raised in a a place that is the city that, you know, your money bought you your food. I'm not really sure he even knows where eggs come from. Be honest, if you asked him <laughs> or milk or I don't know, basic women, things. women, women lay eggs. <laughs> women like eggs, which is probably women lay eggs. <laughs> A legit potential answer that you would give. Uh, But (laughs) business, a lot of people in business, that business is their their background. Farming isn't their background. Conservation isn't their background. You know, like, I don't know, um, etymology or uh, forestry or herbology. Like, these things are not things that are their background by and large. And so... Therefore, they they honestly do do not care and do not understand the ramifications. And if they don't see the ramifications, you know, it, immediately, it's kind of like the kids that have poor behavior and don't get reprimanded right away, right? They don't see the consequences of their behavior right away. They can't associate their behavior with the consequences. Well, this is the same thing. And environmental consequences are things that do, you know, some, some things are immediate or very quick, but most of the time, these are longer 
consequences, right? It takes a longer time for them to come forth. And, but once they do, they're very hard to, to reverse. And that's the whole point. And I think we're reaching that, that place right now where we are seeing the consequences of so many years of poor environmental decisions where we were really sacrificing our environment for capitalism and capitalism with no morality, which we have today, that is exactly what we have today. That is this, the economic system that exists within the United States. And that is the that is this book. I mean, because that people, is this book. You know, people yes. are listening to this podcast are going to be like, uh, "Wait, are we talking about this book or what?" That is essentially mm-hmm. capitalism, corruption, destroying our environment. Is this book? But not and, just I, our environment, but our lives. Like it but, is a yes, morality issue. But, it is no, absolutely matter of human life. But I will tell you this: you said, "Oh, these people only know business, and they do not understand this other stuff." Okay, I'm sorry, but. I am a dentist, okay? I only know teeth. And I am a pediatric dentist. I only know children's teeth. To to give that example and say, well, you know what? Sorry, Aaron, I don't understand how rivers and streams work. I just don't understand all of that. Well, I'm sorry, but a basic education, right? Basic geography. I think I learned it somewhere in school about how rivers flow and then they flow into the ocean and all of that i think i learned somewhere in yeah, school I but i'm not need... sure if private school teaches that i don't uh, <laughs> i'm sorry that was my dig at private school but uh, <laughs> okay well okay private you know what i'm saying like okay um, i mean i'm just saying when some curriculums focus so much on a certain slant or a certain bias they don't teach that there's maybe environmental consequences to our decisions either. You would think that that would be basic and anybody who could explore a little bit in books and their environment okay. would figure this out. Here's but the thing, corruption of our air, okay? I'm sorry. If you fart, it's going to, the stink is going to go, pa- you know, it's just going to keep going, right? You don't need education to know that a fart just spreads, Right. And it's the same thing with environmental gases and things like that. Why is it? This is this is not education. No one told me that the stink of a spark spreads through the air. Did anyone teach you that, Erin? No, but I think that science is a little different because science teaches us critical concept. thinking. It's the same concept. Science, science teaches us critical thinking versus that is not, I would not say that Certain people that might reside in Mar-a-Lago have critical I mean, thinking skills. Like I wouldn't. If you Be- go I mean, by mm. a car when you're driving, I agree with street, you. You go by a car and you know, like it's diesel or whatever, and you can smell the exhaust sometimes, and it's difficult to breathe. This is not about critical thinking, and this is not about science. This is about like going, oh, you automatically know, oh my gosh, it's that car's exhaust, and I can't breathe. Why is it that we cannot think that this, I just don't understand. This is an airborne whatever or waterborne things. This is not science. This is not critical thinking. And some people may think that to a certain, like, like, I think we're still giving them too much credit in in thinking that they can understand that, that some things need to be avoided or put off for, you know, like, 
not like you should not be greedy and want to get all the money you can get right now if it means that you ruin our environment and we all have shorter lives. They can't get that. Like like this like delayed gratification is not a concept that some people understand. And so like literally their need for power and money immediately is going to outweigh anything even if they can even if they are actually paying attention to or conceptualizing the consequences of their poor dis- business decision making and how it affects our environment I but they're they're feel- selfish they don't care about that and even though like they should care about the fact that they need to breathe or like they're going to have kids that you know have to live in this world that they're creating i really don't think that I I think that some of those people who have this problem, like not understanding delayed gratification, not understanding the consequences for their own actions, also don't realize that uh, this idea of like the greater good, like they don't, that's like not a thing. Right. And so they don't even care about their other kids or their grandkids. They understand the signs. They understand the repercussions, but they don't care. And they choose not to care for their own money and power directly opposed to morality. Isn't this exactly what happened with the cigarette um, industry in the yeah. 70s, 80s? This is exactly what happened because the, the cigarette manufacturers knew they had all the research, they had the proof that nicotine was addictive and that it was causing lung disease, lung cancer, all of this. They had it. They had the scientific evidence and the proof. But by putting it out there, well, now I'm going to be out of a job. I don't have the money anymore, Erin. So I can't afford to pay for my home. I literally will not have a job if this cigarette manufacturing company that I have goes down. What am I going to do? I have to live. I mean, look at the coal mines. That's exactly the same thing. While we, we, you know, earlier we talked about, you know, is this the oil industry? They never really like in the book identify what industry that it is. It could be oil. There's definitely it's things like, like coal mining. You know, there's like yeah. pipeline. Like, you so could, I just assumed it was oil because it was a pipeline. Pipeline. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that uh, another one that people don't talk a lot about is uranium mining, which there's a lot of uranium mining in in Africa, as well as other places around. I mean, there's a lot, even in like the northern parts of the United States. So there, there's lots of different resources that get mined out. I mean, part, one of the things that the book didn't address is the take of, um, that I think a lot of people are trying to move towards today, which is if there's no market for the resource, then there's no incentive for the company to continue depleting, right? Right. And trashing the environment, um, which obviously, like clean energy, has been a movement to try to get us away from. With, which with there's, all these it's still not vehicles, perfect. You know, they right. they go into you know they talk about well, we need to move into electric vehicles. You shouldn't buy gas vehicles. I get all of that. The technology is not there yet. Right. I mean, it's there, but it's not fully there. Well, a lot of it's been bought out by the oil companies and shelved. Which is another thing people do not talk about, but it, it there are literal cases of that happening where technology like bio uh, diesels and things like that have been developed and uh, the patents get bought out and then 
like there's maybe even some suggestion to the inventor that, hey, like we're going to use this and we're going to switch to this. And then the companies just shelve it because their profit, I mean, you know, their profits are in these non-renewable, very rare resources. They can, they can, you know, charge out the wazoo for them, right? Like they make their profits that way. They're not going to make the same profit off of biodiesel. At least they don't think so. So. Right. And it's the same thing. Like, if it's a non-renewable resource, they also have to realize non-renewable. Renewable. I mean, we're going to be out of helium in this in the world. I, I don't remember like the last I looked, it was like 20, it was supposed to be 2025, but then it's probably 2030. 20, I don't know. I'd have to look. I'd have to Google when we'd be out of helium. And but, we're just over here blowing up balloons for birthday parties. And- <laughs> correct. Exactly. We are still blowing up balloons. For birthday parties, once I found out like helium was non-renewable resource and stuff, when I had my practice, I used to give balloons. I used to have helium tanks for balloons. And then the price of helium went up and I'm like, what the heck's going on? And then I started reading about how it's a non-renewable resource. We're going to run out of helium and how it's actually a medical gas too. And all of this stopped doing the balloons in my office. But the thing is, again, non-renewable, how long... Are we going to keep going? If we run out of gas and petrol or whatever it is, what's going to happen to our cars? And how are we going to go in our transportation if we have and if we haven't figured out a better system with EVs and or you know they were talking about? Honestly, I don't even think we're going to have to worry about that. And here's why: uh, I think that the impact to the environment is. Um, such that we're going to see a dramatic threat from our environment that is going to dramatically change our way of life before we run out of those non-renewable resources. And our our worry all along has been to a certain extent from the external world, like from like outside of the industry has been, what, what do we do when we run out? What do we do when we run out? But really where we should have been focusing and, you know, They want you to be distracted, right? Like, here's the thing. What are we going to do when we run out? What are we going to do when we run out? Oh, by the way, we're never going to make it there because our our world is going to burn to the ground (laughs) or be flooded or I don't know, global warming. I'm not, you know, climate change is going to affect us. And like, we're seeing that, right? Like, just just think about it. I mean, look at the forest fires, you know. Global warming is a hoax. They've had forest fires the since weather the beginning changing. of time. We there have been these weather extreme... changes since the beginning of time. This is all a hoax yeah. made up by people Clearly. who don't want me to have my fabulous car manufacturing companies and gasoline. And we really shouldn't go into water gasoline or water, you know, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so the book. Yes. Um, yeah. Away from the theme. The theme was great. And I'm really glad that we covered this theme, to be clear. Like, I think this was a good theme to cover. And I also like the theme. I think there's a theme of women's struggle, a woman's struggle. And I don't know if the author is saying, you know, you can fight, you can take it all the way to the top. But ultimately, unfortunately, I mean, is she kind of telling us it's a hopeless, hopeless game? You know, it's a hopeless struggle. You know, I think about the Women's March and, you know, the the Muslim woman who started the Women's March, she got a whole bunch of death threats and things like that. It's just, it's kind of like the world is set up to basically have you shut up. And the first, I don't know how many people who speak 
are going to be tortured and are going to die. That's the reality of it. I mean, it's kind of like with the suffragette movement for women wanting to vote. How many women were imprisoned and beaten and all of that, really, until before women could get a chance to vote? How many how many Blacks died? I mean, if you look at the history from slavery to segregation and, I mean, all the protests, how many people died before all of this? So, I mean, it's like saying, okay, one woman gets up there and starts fighting and ultimately what's going to happen is, there you go, she's going to be silenced and how many more women who can come up after her are going to be silenced. How many deaths is it going to take before this changes? I mean, obviously that's not a theme in the book, but I'm extending it. I think it is actually. And I I think that it, I I think that it is a, what do I want to say? It's, you can find, but it doesn't matter. She's making a statement about a value system. The author, I, and I guess I assumed that it is a female author. Um, I, I don't Bolo, actually know. I don't I just, know. I don't actually know that, but I, I assume. I am assuming female also. But I think that this is a critique. Yes. That yes. that part about how women are treated in the book is a critique on the greater system of capitalism. And, and I mean by this also, like, I don't think that all capitalism has to be immoral or like, you know, without any conscience, but that's what the kind of capitalism that we're talking about in this book. And it's the kind of capitalism that exists within this country and how we approach how companies from the United States and people from the United States often approach business outside even of the United States. And basically, if we are willing to sacrifice our environment and like literally lives for gain, for monetary gain, we also do not we we are are we see people based on their income potential we value people based on their ability to earn and let's face it every woman the capitalistic system sees as not being as high of a potential as men not saying that that's true i'm saying that's how we're seen and part of that is that there's this like intrinsic thought that we are going to have children which means maternity leaves which means you know, even, I mean, these days, it means paid maternity leaves when you don't have a workforce there, right? So, like, we are seen as a drain on the system instead of as an asset to the system when you're thinking about an amoral capitalistic society or system. And and I I think that these two things are in, are intricately connected personally. Even though this country claims to be equal rights, we do we still do not pay women the same amount as men in the same industry. Um, we do, and that also means that we devalue other people that we see as not as high of earning potential within the system. That that means people that have disabilities or different abilities. That means people who have uh, who have been marginalized, whether it's LGBTQ, Black community, you know, Hispanic community, etc. These people are devalued within the system. And that's a problem, right? Like that is a big problem, but there's is the same value system that says that it's okay to sacrifice our environment, to sacrifice the mother earth for gain, for monetary gain. And I think maybe also there could be another dynamic to that part of the story in that we talk about mother earth and the earth as a female entity is like across different cultures. It's not just 
one culture that says mother earth, right? Like it's, it's a, it's multiple cultures that maybe refer to the earth as being female. And so maybe there's also that symbolism there. Like we're doing this to earth, which is female. And we treat all females within the society the same, right? Like it's like, I never thought of it that way. That is like a symbolism. I don't know. That is, I know. I never thought of it that way, but it could be a very psychological kind of a mother earth woman, woman as in disposable woman as in not having any value to to the system and the only value a woman has in the system is like the handmaid's tale is by reproducing and producing males and that is ultimately the only value a woman could have because what we need are men we don't need women and that's it that is the role of a woman in this entire system. And even when you think about like that one part in the book where she's working within her alliance, which is primarily her male classmates, right? And she's kind of like this leader and she's going and she's talking to these villages and she's like the face, a little bit the face of their peaceful movement. And then they take the two like shaman or I don't know how, I can't remember what they're called in the book, but um, the twins that are, um, are like blind and kind of mystic and have some different kind of rituals that they perform. And they like basically rape her, you know, um, against her knowledge, all because they think that she's like going to birth this, I don't know, male heir that's going to save them. I mean, you think about it, like they are mining her for her monetary resources that like she is the one who's been the financial provider out of this entire group, even though they all had the same education. They've been basically, you know, coercively getting her money. Right. And then using that against her knowledge to gain violent tools so that they can perpetuate violence on the system that they saw as unfair. And also they like basically rape her with this ritual while she's medically passed out. And is that's also kind of a metaphor for what is happening to the earth from the corporation. And they're like, no better. These are supposed to be the people that are on the same track as her. And they're really, honestly, what they're doing to her is no better than what that corporation is doing to the earth. That's another reason why I thought it might be a metaphor. I don't. I, right. She it's is. It's been. It's been a while since I read the book. I mean, I remember it was just like graphic. It was just very disturbing because I just was like, how beautiful we were. That title is just just brilliant because it just it says it all. How beautiful we were. Like, and, and I was so stupid, and I just kept reading it, hoping that you would become beautiful again. But that's not the title. It's how beautiful we were. And that's the story. It's just kind of like, yep. Okay, what else? Do you want to do? Um... I like the the only other thing I was going to mention is the timeline. Not timeline. What am I saying? Okay, like I've never read a book before where the main character is not like like so much time is spent actually away from the narration of the main character. Right. Mm-hmm. So like we have her voice at the beginning and then. I feel like we come back to her voice like towards the end, but a large portion of what we're reading is she is the main character. It's about her. It's about her struggle with this village, but we're getting it from other villagers' perspectives. Right. And that is just a different technique or a different style than I've ever seen. I loved it. I thought it was great. I didn't think it was confusing because you're always seeing the main character just from somebody else's 
perspective of her. Right. No, I liked it. I mean, I really, I liked all the different perspectives. I liked all the crazy characters. I liked them trying to, you know, go up to the, go up. I guess they tried to go up and what do they do? They go go to the building and try to talk to the main head, come back, all the stuff. And it was, you know, like I said, I read it a while ago. What stuck with me was a destruction of a society and ultimately destruction of a person who was fighting for it. That's what stuck with me. I still give it five stars. Even today, when I think about it, I still give it five stars. I give the title five stars. Now the cover, mm, the cover art is the only one that I was like, um, eh, I don't know. I don't know much. I don't know how I feel about the cover art. It's just these two hands holding each other. What are your thoughts on all of it? Title, cover, can you see it? I mean, I did not really feel like the cover. I still am not really 100% sure how it goes with the story uh-huh. myself. So I would give the cover. It wasn't, it also didn't draw me in. Like sometimes there's a cover and it's like, okay, it has nothing to do with the story. But like, it's delightful to me or it pulls me in. And for right. some reason, I would give that a two, a one or two. I don't like right. the cover. I do like the title though. So I would give the the title a five. And the book, a four or five? Um, a five. Mm-hmm. I think I gave it a five. I'm pretty sure I gave it a five. And I still would give it a five. Like I would, I I will say this, like there are people I would recommend this book to. There are other people that, I mean, I think it would just be useless to recommend it to them because I don't really know if they're going to get it. <laughs> I don't think they're going to understand the themes or pick up on that. Like, I, I mean... Yeah, there's definitely people I'd be like, yeah, they're not, they're not gonna get it. They're gonna be like, what was so special about this? But I, I loved it, and I definitely would recommend it, and I would probably read it again. Right. I just feel bad that there will be people who read it and just don't get it, or don't, are not moved by this, where people believe the world is Baldwin, Missouri, or Chesterfield, Missouri. There is nothing past this area that we live in. That's it. There, There is nothing past the certain, there is no Missouri. There's no other, Missouri is this tiny place. Forget the whole state. There are no other states. So if there are no other states, there's no other countries. The only people who live are them and they won't get it. This will be sci-fi fantasy to them. I mean, I mean, seriously, like, like they're going to be like, oh, this is cool fantasy. I love it. This, you know, dystopian fantasy, right? And it wasn't. I mean, like, I immediately, when they started talking about what was going on, I was like, oh, this is, this, this, like, this has happened. This has happened over and over and over. And it's, and it is happening right now, you know? And, uh, and how many places is it happening? There's so many things I could say here, you know, like, look at part of why that we have so many migrants coming to the United States from Central America. Part of that is our industrialization of their countries and basically depleting them of their natural resources uh, and polluting environments and leaving huge power vacuums when we left. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is us. That was America going out in the name of democracy and depleting other people's stuff. And polluting their environments. And also we did it here. It's not like we were only doing it elsewhere. We were doing it here too, to be very clear. And it's sad, but 
yeah, I mean, that's why there are so many people wanting to leave certain countries is in part because of the destruction that our capitalism has wrought within right. some of those countries. No, I mean, and the only, um, unfortunately, the only way we all survive is by dying in all the tornadoes and tsunamis and whatever else that comes up that we with our technologies cannot fight. And, and that's just the unfortunate reality of it. And they're just going to be like, Oh, no, it's not us. But whatever people want to believe they can believe but that's that. So I'm really glad we did this book. I wish I'd have read it like closer up, but I've been so busy. But anything else about this book before we call it quits for book club for today? I can't think of anything other than to say like it was refreshing to have a book where like a love story was not the main focus. I mean, you know, like even within some of the other novels that we've read where there were really great themes and really great messages, there's still like lots of love stories. And this was totally not that. Cass did not have a love story. Okay. That's true. That's true. That was nonfiction though. Uh, I'm not saying that it's just us that we pick, but I mean like a lot of books. I'm just, I'm just trying to think. No, I'm just trying to think. Of love stories. Yeah, Black Buck had a love story. The uh, Kalyana, a little bit of a love story, yes. Mm-hmm. What other books have we done? I can't even remember right now. I'm just drawing. And it's not just page. it's not just book club. Like, I am reading this horror book, trying uh-huh. to get into my fall mood, called House of Hollow, which is a straight-up horror. I love it. Um, It's very dark. <laughs> but there's, like... So many love stories and love triangles within it. And I'm just like, guys, can we just have a horror story that... Can we just start killing people, please? Can we just start (laughs) killing people and just being destructive and just being scary? Well, this is is Changelings, you know? Uh, Anyway, this is a different book. Uh, We're totally off topic, but... (laughs) Okay, all right. But read it. It's good. Well... There's some things in it that I would change personally, but um, that's for another time. All right. So let's close uh, book club today. Well, this was almost like a book talk. So, uh, but I'll still call it book club for my podcast. And uh, thank you for joining me, Miss Erin. This was a lot of fun. I agree. Thanks for, thanks for having me. All right, folks, that's it for book club or book talk, whatever you want to call it. We have some fun book club choices coming up. I'm excited. We're doing Sabata Hare's book next. I haven't read it yet, but I'm super stoked for it. And I'm working up some bookish episodes. We'll keep you posted. And that's it for this episode. Before I go, if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shnazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time.